welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 82 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 29th of July 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, part 14. And the Bible readings are taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2 and Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 20. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Matthew chapter 28. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. As we stand, honor the reading of God's holy and precious word. Reading first from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says in verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Then in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, and Jesus spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Father, we thank you again this morning, Lord, for health and strength for this place that you've preserved through the years, Lord, for, uh, Lord, your uh, presence that is here with us, that lives and dwells within us. Father, for your word that's before us, and Lord, as we meet together here this morning, we do pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds could and would be focused upon you, not anything else outside, not anything else that's going on in our lives, but on you, upon your word, upon what you have for us today. Lord, you know the hearts of each one. You know the needs of each one. We commit this all into your hands. Pray that you would do the work that only you can do. For your glory and your honor alone, in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. As we continue in our series on contending for the faith, this is the 82nd sermon in that series, and we've been looking, this is the 14th sermon that we've been looking at on the glorious church of Jesus Christ. And as we have looked at this matter of the church, one of the fundamentals of the faith, we began by defining the New Testament church. We looked at the prospective church, the church that will be called out all together at one time at the rapture to meet the Lord in the air, the present church that we have right now in the present time, the local church. We looked at the design of this New Testament church. We looked at the organization of this church and that it is Christians that are united together with Jesus Christ as as the head. We've looked at the officers of that New Testament church, those that are called by God, the pastors, elders, bishops of the church, and those that are chosen by the church, the deacons. And then we've been looking, this will be our third sermon, in the ordinances of the New Testament church. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth 
in our reading there this morning, said, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things. And he's praising them for something else. And keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. So he is praising the church at Corinth for keeping the ordinances that he had delivered to this church. So we ask ourselves, were what were these ordinances? And we looked at that. And as we look through this matter of the ordinances and what an ordinance is, we then made the statement that in the New Testament church, we believe that the Scripture gives us a lot of things to remember and a lot of things to do, but it gives two ordinances to, uh, to the church uh, to be practiced. And the first of those we have seen is believer's baptism. And that's what we have been looking at for the past uh, a couple of weeks, and we have broken that down, and we began to, uh, to look at, first of all, the, uh, uh, the importance of, the, uh, uh, of biblical baptism. Uh, how important is it? Uh, is it something that really matters to us uh, whatsoever? And as we looked at that, we looked at why it's important to the believer individually and why that it is important to the body, inclusively uh, we as a church. And then, of course, we began to look at the imperatives for biblical baptism. If it is as important as we have stated and shown from Scripture that it is, what is it that makes it scriptural? Is it just somebody getting dunked in water? Uh, because to some today, that would be all that mattered. As just long as, as they had said that I'm a Christian and they got dunked in water, that's it. But the Bible has a lot more to say about it than that. And I believe that whatever it is, if it's anything that we're doing, if God has given us the way and the means in which that is to be done, then we do it God's way. So we began to look at the imperatives. What makes it biblical baptism? First of all, we said that it was the right person. Baptism is for believers only. There is absolutely nothing scriptural, nothing biblical about infant baptism. There is nothing scriptural or biblical about someone else getting baptized for another. The only baptism that the Bible knows of is that which is followed in obedience by the believer after he puts his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. No other baptism is biblical because that's the only baptism that's in the Bible. Not only the right person, we said, but it takes the right purpose. There are some today that would think that baptism, there's something in that water that is necessary for salvation itself. The Bible teaches us that it is a symbol, not a sacrament. We covered many things covering that. We looked at a number of scriptures on that. And I'm saying to you that if baptism not only is done on any other person other than a believer, it's not biblical. If it's done for any other purpose than that which the Lord has given to us for, which is symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, it is not biblical baptism. We said that... It's also imperative that it have the right practice. What do you mean, preacher? I mean immersion only. 
The Bible knows no other means of baptism, no other way. We look at all of the uh, the examples in Scripture, that is the only kind of baptism that we see in Scripture. We look at the expression of the, of the symbolism of what it means, of what it's picturing in its symbolism. Immersion is the only baptism that is known to the Bible. And so that's where that we left off Sunday before last now, I guess that it was. We had a guest preacher last week. And so we said there was one other imperative that I wanted which I believe is important, and this is probably, I warn you up front, the most controversial of any of them. There are even those that, that may agree with us on the first three imperatives that we have looked at, the fact that it must be done for believers only, uh, the fact that it must be done by immersion only, that it must be done for the right purpose to symbolize the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there is another imperative that I believe that we find in Scripture, and that is the right power. Now look back, if you would, to our Scripture that we've been looking at in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and spoken to me saying, all, what's the next word in your Bible? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That word power there could also carry with it, it could also be translated as authority. All power, all authority, he says, is given to me in heaven and in earth. All authority is given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it is Jesus we have seen that with his authority has commanded that we go, that we preach the gospel to every creature, and that we baptize those that believe. Can just anybody baptize another person? Can just any believer baptize another? Well, you know, I just prayed a prayer, and some of you have prayed prayers here this morning. And when we prayed that prayer, you know, I believe there is absolutely only one way in all of the world that a prayer gets through to heaven. I believe there's only one hope of any prayer being answered. That's not because it's being prayed by my authority, by my name, by who I am or what I've done. It's because of the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's not just a matter of tacking on in Jesus' name we pray or in Christ's name we pray at the end of the prayer. The simple reality is we have no other authority whereby that we can approach the throne of God except through the power, the name, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I could come to your house, as many people around the world have had done before, and maybe you'd be in bed sound asleep, and I could come pounding on your door. And I could say, you've done such and such that I don't like. I am putting you under arrest. Would you just kindly say, okay, I'm going. <laughs> probably say, what in the world is wrong with you? You know, you know what, what's, have you fallen on your head or something, you know? But now, if by the same token, those that came pounding your, on your door and put you under arrest, they had on a certain uniform and they wore a certain badge or showed you a certain badge, they have the authority to arrest you, not just because they're another person, 
but because of authority that has been placed in them by another, by the government, which whom you and I and those around us have, have placed there in those positions. So they have an authority to come and to do what they're doing. I'm saying to you folks, authority is not an easy thing for most of us to swallow. I, you know, in the flesh, it's not easy. If, if you look at me this morning, you say you love having somebody else tell you what to do and when to do it and how to do it, I'd scratch my head and think there was probably just, just about as much wrong with you as me come pounding your, on your door in the wee hours of the morning or something. That's not something that comes natural. But authority is necessary. Without it, we have anarchy. We have chaos. We find that the Bible gives us this thing called baptism, this ordinance that he's given to the church. Who has scriptural authority to baptize? Now, like I said, to many today, it doesn't matter who does the baptizing, and many times it can be done with all sincerity of heart. Well, they were genuine. They did it because that they knew that's what they were supposed to do. Well, some right here this morning and some that are members of this church now that are not here this morning. Some people have gotten upset with me because they said I was one of those rebaptizers. Folks, I don't rebaptize anybody. But to be a member of this church, you got to be biblically baptized. Simple truth is, is that some of you with great sincerity and genuineness went through a, an act of somebody putting you underwater at some point in your life, but came later to find out that wasn't biblical baptism for whatever reason. Does it matter? I believe everything that God gives us matters. And it's not for us to take and to change it. Can I remind you, first of all, that our definition of an ordinance, what are we talking about? We define an ordinance this way. An outward right instituted by divine authority, an outward right instituted by divine authority and given for perpetual observance to be observed over and over again. An ordinance, and therefore baptism, as we've shown to be one of those ordinances, is given by what? Divine authority. Any ordinance is given by divine authority. So it's given by God's authority. We further stated this, that divine authority that has given us these ordinances is Jesus Christ himself. And he has given to his church, his New Testament church, the seat of his authority in this age, these two rites, these two ceremonies, baptism and the Lord's Supper, as symbols, as pictures of what? Of the gospel to be observed until he returns for that church again one day. Can we biblically support everything that we're saying there? We looked at this passage in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus is emphatically stating that all power, that all authority 
has been given to him. All authority in heaven and in earth, it all belongs to him. In other words, folks, Jesus Christ, whether it sits easy with us, it's a whole lot easier when you're saved than it does when you're unsaved. Simple truth is he has absolute sovereign power and authority over everything. He is that divine authority because he is the one and only God. It is under his, Jesus Christ, divine authority that he sent forth his apostles and he sent them with some specific instructions. Now, we've already established some things about these apostles as we've looked into the word of God. They are the foundation of the glorious church of Jesus Christ that we're talking about, of which Jesus Christ himself is that chief cornerstone. He, Jesus Christ, alone can and is building his church. We saw that the apostle was the very first office of that glorious church and that these instructions that are before us were not for them only, but for the New Testament church that he's building, that he's starting with them, these special men that have been called out. These men are told specifically, first, go ye. That's something that you must do. Go, therefore. In other words, as a result of his divine authority, all power is given unto me in heaven and the earth. Go ye therefore, go as a result of that, because of that, go. Literally, he says, and teach all nations. Making disciples, in other words. You see, this leaves no room for doubt. Disciples can only be made in one way. That is through you and I proclaiming the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Of course, that's also made clear of the reading of that same commission in the other gospels as we look through Scripture. The simple truth is, the commission, the command that was given to these men that were the foundation of the New Testament church, they were to go everywhere, to all nations, to every people upon the face of the earth. And they were to go with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was the only thing that could change their lives and make them disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, baptizing them, he says, the next step, win them to Christ and baptize them. We are given a divine mandate from Jesus Christ himself. The marching orders to us as the church was to go to them, to give them the gospel so that they could be made into disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You see, as we look at this whole matter of this ordinance of baptism, this authority that's being given, it can only be done 
in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I know some go and say, well, you do it in Jesus' name only by taking another passage of Scripture out of context instead of taking all that the Bible has to say about it. The authority to baptize comes directly from Jesus Christ. That's the divine authority with absolute affirmation, even in the formula, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost of a triune God. Yes, he's given all authority, but he is a triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And therefore, when we baptize someone under that authority, under that divine authority that is being given to us here to do that from Jesus Christ himself, it has to be done, first of all, the authority. It's in the name of God, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, in all of his triunity, under the authority of God himself coming to us through the authority of Jesus Christ. He goes on here, says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Well, can I ask you something in some of the other things that we've already seen? Even when we looked at the pastors and elders and bishops, those different words for those spiritual leaders there, we looked at the reason that those deacons were chosen out to to, to serve the church so that those pastors, those, those, those elders, those, those that were given the responsibility of praying and, and of preaching the Word of God, that they could give themselves to that, the teaching, the preaching. Nothing, all of these other things are vitally important, but nothing was to take away from that. You see, I believe that we see that not only this authority He's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's the authority that's given to us in Scripture. But I believe that it's given under the authority of the local New Testament church. And I want to give you a few things why that I draw that conclusion, why we made that statement initially in our statement of faith. You see, the apostles were the very first officers in the church. We've already looked at that. Not just to win people to Christ, and leave them, but we see them winning people to Christ and establishing those churches so that they can be taught in all those areas that they go into. We've already seen that this was so important that it's vitally important the way that the church is organized and set up with the pastors and the deacons. We established that the office of an apostle which had very specific requirements. Yes, today, that word was those that were sent. They were sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. Some would call missionaries today as apostles, but folks, there's a big difference. Those apostles that were chosen as the foundation of the church, there were specific requirements for them in seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. They were given specific powers because they were apostles. We said that because of that, that office passed away at their death, but the churches which they established where they appointed elders and pastors. Notice with me, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 4 again, we could look so many places in the Scriptures. We did when we talked about that office. But in Ephesians chapter 4, may I remind you, as we pick up in verse 11, 
It says, and of course, this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, let's pick up up in verse 7 so that there's no confusion as to when and how this has taken place. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Verse 9 says, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth, he that descended in the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Jesus Christ, we've looked at this before, I believe he descended into Hades, all those that were there in paradise. They had to wait until he had died that he literally himself had paid the price that yes, they had put their faith in. He's the one that went and led those captives free. And the Bible says in verse 11, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. We find that scripturally that God has always given his people somebody there as a gift. These prophets, these apostles, these evangelists, these pastors and teachers, teaching pastors, if you would, why? He says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has a way for this church that he's building, for it to be taught, for it to be edified, for it to be strengthened, for it to be built up. He says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measures of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You see, as we look here, you know, God gave us a plan. We've looked at many of those things. I'm just reminded, do you think that... Here in Matthew chapter 28, do you think that teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, do you think that possibly has anything to do with Ephesians chapter 4 where he gave to this church these gifts for these people to, to be perfected, for them not to be tossed about by every wind of to be taught the things of God that they could be strong Today, the church is being watered down. The church is being made of no importance to too many people. Everybody wants to do their own thing. They don't want the authority, the this authority that we're talking about. You see, it becomes a very divisive issue, even amongst Christians today, amongst churches today. Simple truth is this. I believe with all my heart, if you get rid of all of man's ideas, and if you get rid of all the problems that man has with God's authority, and you begin to look directly at the Word of God, folks, help me out. If I'm so dense, I can't come up with any other alternative. There's lots of men's ideas. Folks, we don't need men's ideas. 
We need God's directives. Biblical baptism. It must be administered by a local New Testament church. There is no other logical interpretation of even this passage that we're looking at here in Matthew other than Jesus Christ under his authority giving to his church through these foundational apostles the authority to go to win the lost, to baptize them, to teach them the whole counsel of God, leading to mature Christians and strong churches that can go out and because they're part of the church, do that same thing over again. That's the only way that the church survives. That's the only way that it moves forward. We don't need more organizations. We don't need more religions. We don't need more men's programs. We need more churches that'll take the word of God and live according to that book and do it God's way, whether we understand it or whether we like it. You see, you've got a problem here if you go the way that many of them have gone. Either the authority, as some would say, was given here to those apostles, to those men, that he was talking to directly. Well, if that's the case, then it died with them. If it was given to them only, it died when they died. But if it was given to them as the foundation, as they were assembled together, as the foundation of the New Testament church, then it was given to you and I, and it's still binding on us today. Do we believe? that the commission to go into this world with all the gospel, with everything that we've looked at through this series, we've tried to look at the difference. Folks, there are fundamentals of the faith that you cannot depart from, that you cannot have any other way. There are also things that other churches may do that are different from us, that are not fundamentals. It doesn't make them heretics because they don't do it the same way we do it. It may be important to us as a local church if we're in one mind and one accord, certainly. But the truth is that as we look at this matter of baptism, of biblical baptism, this is fundamental to our faith. This is something that God gives us. It was given to us here in this passage. Was it given to just those men? Was this commission binding upon the church? You see, just as it was given to those apostles as they were assembled together, it was given to individuals as individuals within the church. Just like with these apostles, as they were assembled together as the foundation of the church, it was given to each of them, yes, individually, but corporately together everywhere that the commission is given in the New Testament. It's given to the assembled group not to individuals on their own, but to those that were assembled. It simply doesn't work any other way. And, and let me point out something else, very simple here, but very important. What does the last part of that say? And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Even those closing words, to this which we call the Great Commission. You see, if it makes any sense at all, it only makes sense in the context 
of the church. Jesus is promising here that while this commission is being carried out, he will personally be with whoever he's talking to that's carrying out this commission until what? He says, until the end of the world. That's talking about the end of the age. In other words, that's talking about when Jesus Christ comes back for this church that he's giving this commission to, when he comes back at the end of that age. That promise doesn't even make sense if it's made to those 11 at that time apostles that were gathered together there. That promise doesn't, how could he be with them until the end of the age when he came back for the church? If it was something that was given to them as apostles only, rather than the church, which they were the founders of. You see, this commission, it is given to us individually. It only makes sense it's given to us individually, but in the sense of that assembled people, that called out assembly, that church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way that the words even make sense, that he's going to be there not with those 11 that have long since been dead and gone from this world, but he's still there with his church. He's still there with those that are to be carrying this out. We can look at many passages, but let me tell you something. When you look at the Bible, you'll find baptism nowhere in the Scripture without authority. First of all, we could look back and we could look in the Gospel of Mark chapter 11, we find that John the Baptist had authority to baptize. Now, John the Baptist wasn't, that was a different baptism from believer's baptism, but it was a baptism that was symbolic just as, as uh, the baptism that we practice today. And in Mark chapter 11, notice what it says in uh, picking up in verse, uh, uh, verse 27 of that chapter. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there came to him the chief priest and the scribes and the elders, and say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question, and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. They reasoned within themselves saying, well, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. They answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. John the Baptist had to have an authority. Jesus even questioned these rich, rich people, these, these uh, learned people that, that at that point in time. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, of course, one of the most commonly known chapters in all of the Bible Notice what it says down in verse 22 of that chapter. It says, After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them 
and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Enon near to Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. And John was not yet cast into prison. And there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given from heaven. If anything, if anything is done out from under the authority that comes from heaven, then it's worthless. John had the authority to baptize. In that same uh, book there in John, look over the next chapter in John chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. The disciples, they had authority to baptize as they baptized with and for Jesus Christ. And according to Matthew chapter 28, it wasn't just those apostles. They, had, they already had authority to baptize. He was giving authority to the church, which they were the foundation of, to do that baptizing. We could look at a lot of scriptures, but every other baptism in the New Testament could only have been carried out under the authority given from heaven, given to the church. All examples in Scripture were men that were either one of the apostles or they were a leader in a local church. There are simply no lone rangers. <laughs> There's nobody out there doing it on their own. There's no other authority given in the New Testament except that which is given to the New Testament church. Sometimes the names of the individuals are given, just like many would you say, well, what about Philip and the eunuch? You know, that was just Philip and him out there. But who was Philip? He was a deacon of the church at Jerusalem. He was out there under the authority of the church, winning men to Christ. The same thing today. We send out missionaries to the foreign fields. They go out there, sometimes they're on their own to start with. They win somebody to Christ. What authority do they baptize under? The authority that they've been sent under, the church that sent them to the field. All ministry should be under the authority of the church and not just the individual. There is nothing in Scripture that you could look to, that you could find and point to and say, well, there's somebody that wasn't part of the church that was just out there doing it themselves. And let me tell you this, contrary to much today, which I believe is there to weaken the church, nowhere in Scripture is anybody ever baptized under the authority of any universal church. That church that's in prospect, we've already looked, that church will be called out. It'll be gathered together for the first time at the rapture right now. It's just those names being written in the Lamb's Book of Life that'll be called out at that day. It's also worth noting that when we began looking at the ordinances, what did Paul say when he wrote to the church at court? The ordinances which I've delivered unto you. They were delivered to the church. Biblical baptism must be a baptism that is administered under the right power and authority. Folks, we have no reason to make anything harder than it already is. 
Simple truth is our faith, Jesus Christ has all power, has all authority in heaven and in earth. It's under his authority. He has commissioned not you as an individual on your own. He's commissioned his church and you as part of the body of Christ, part of a church, the local church, what? To win the lost, to baptize the believer, to teach them all things. Biblical baptism is baptism that is administered by a local New Testament church in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Believers only, by immersion only, symbolizing. Remember, it goes right back. Think of everything that we have looked at really throughout this whole series on contending for the faith and the fundamentals of the faith. Whether we're talking about the church, whether we're talking about the, the Holy Spirit, whether we're talking about Jesus Christ, whatever subject we're talking about, Brother Chris, what does it all come back to? It's for the purpose of the gospel. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why the Holy Spirit is still here, that the work of Jesus Christ can still be carried on because we can't do that in our power. It can only be done in his power when he not only lives within us, but when he has control of us, when he's the one that's empowering us. The ordinances, they're not there so that it's something that we can do to be better Christians, to be more saved in some way. We'll see as we look at the Lord's Supper next time. These are there for the purpose of the gospel. That's why we're here today, folks. You've heard me say it many times over many different things. Every one of you today, there's not an individual here that wouldn't be better off in heaven. Why was it that the apostle Paul was, boy, he was feeling that struggle, that battle to go and to be with the Lord. Yet, it was more expedient for him to stay. Right now, you and I, we are here that the work of Christ could be carried out. That's the gospel. That's what these ordinances are about. That's what they symbolize. That's what the church is here for. That's why these ordinances have been given to the church that men and women and boys and girls can come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they can identify themselves with him, that they can become part of that church, that they can go out and bring others to Christ. That's what it's for. It's not his desire to his will that any should perish. Today, that's why we're here. That's why these ordinances are here. That's why it's not important that we do them in some ritualistic way that man is pleased with. It's vital that we practice the biblical pattern. And that's what he's given to the church. Biblical baptism, the right person, believers only, the right purpose, symbolic only, the right practice, immersion only, the right power, the right authority, the local New Testament church in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Folks, that's biblical baptism. That's the only baptism that we ought to practice. That's the baptism that's been given to us. That is an ordinance that has been given to the church for the picturing of the gospel. 
that others can see. That we, when we go into those waters, we're proclaiming, this is what happened to me. <laughs> you know, I died with him. I'm risen to newness of life in him. We're identifying ourselves unashamedly with him. And while doing so, showing to the world and all of those witnesses the importance of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you today. Lord, as we think of your church, it should be something that excites us to be a part of it. Lord, your church is what you've left here, that your work might be carried on. Thank you so much, Lord, that we can be a part of that. Lord, I pray that you would help us, that we would, Lord, not take it lightly, that we would understand the importance of it, the privilege of it. Lord, we're reminded of the statement that I can remember even being proclaimed as I was just a young lad. If every member of this church were just like me, what kind of church would this church be? How many people today, Lord, of those that belong to you, all of us included, truly realize the Bible teaches us that, Lord, you loved your church enough that you died for it. Oh, help us, Lord, to appreciate it. Help us to understand the importance of it. Help us to understand the importance of our commitment to it. Help us to understand the great privilege that we have of being a part of it. And Lord, as we look around this congregation this morning, as far as we know, Lord, everyone here is saved and on their way to heaven. But you know the hearts. We would only pray once again. Lord, if there's any question, if there's anyone here that does not have that assurance, Lord, that this would be the day that they would seek that assurance. And Lord, for each Christian, that you would help us, bond us together. Help us, Lord. Help us to be willing to take and understand the Word of God, to apply it to our lives, to live by it, to live according to it. Help us as individuals and as a church to be biblical in all that we do. And Lord, just because it is easier, because that maybe some others think that it's uh, an important to to go some other direction, help us, Lord. Help us just to stay your way. Help us to do what you would have us to do. We'll give you the praise and thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.